in a world where... Nah, this ain't that kind of podcast. Let's be honest, the world doesn't need another podcast where we ask the same old questions to the same successful people. You're listening to the Profit and Impact Podcast with Nev Harris. Grab a seat at the table as Nev and his guests dig into the challenges that successful agencies and freelancers have overcome to achieve their success. There's no script, and Nev's insatiable curiosity and ADD can take the conversation anywhere. So let's get real and have some honest talk, lots of laughs, and some helpful insights into what it really takes to create more profit and impact in your business. All right, welcome back to another episode of Profit and Impact. Today, I have Joe Casabona. Now, Joe and me are recent acquaintances, but I've been following Joe's stuff for a while now, and he's, he's a really interesting dude, and I'm excited to have him here. So, Joe, say hello to everyone. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks, Nev, for having me on the, the show, and thanks for the kind words. I appreciate uh, that you've been enjoying the content I've been putting out. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. It's 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 great stuff, my friend. So let's uh let's take a step back in time, if you will, then, and uh, to a younger Joe when uh he was freelancing and everything like that. When did you all get started in business? Yeah, I got started in high school. Two thousand two was the year that I built my first website, which also happened to be my first paid website. I've I've told this story a lot on other podcasts, but basically my church came to me. They said, can you build us a website? You're good with computers. I said, I don't know how. They said, we'll pay <laughs> you. And I said, okay. So I was always kind of interested in building websites, but I didn't get the push I needed until somebody came with money. <laughs> uh, and after that, I was like, well, I guess this is a business I'm going to do now. Uh, I always felt a little bit like Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. And that uh-huh. I was always trying to come up with ways to make money. I would like sell mixed CDs to my friends because I was like one of the first people to have a CD burner and things like that. But websites, websites really, I mean, I'm still doing it to this day. So that really worked out. I did websites for a few friends' parents and they all paid me my, my rate of $200 a website, which I then moved to $500 a website. And uh, I continued to do that all throughout high school and college. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I was uh, I was kind of adventurous in high school too. I tried to sell blow pops. I'd go to like nice. the Sam's Club. I bought a big thing of blow pops, like five hundred blow pops, and I decided I started selling them in school for a quarter apiece. And then the um, school found out. The security guard found out I was doing it and confiscated my damn blow pops. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> like so, yeah. That was uh, that was my f- first business, and it didn't last too long. So I wasn't quite as adventurous in selling hundreds of dollars worth of websites. I was selling twenty-five <laughs> cent blow pops. So <laughs> you were thinking bigger than me. <laughs> so yeah. level of effort was a little bit higher, though, for me, especially in the beginning, because I was like using front page, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. So yeah, when we got started in websites, we had clients. And uh, on our magazine and marketing side that always wanted us to design websites. So I went to my graphic designer and said, hey, can you design a website? He's like, I don't see why not. And, you know, it's a, right? It's like there's a million reasons that we know now. Why not? Yep. Yeah. But uh, we were we, we didn't know what we didn't know. And we were like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, uh, 
And it's those low-end website clients that you get that'll give you a couple hundred dollars that take as long as the guy that's going to give you 5,000, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was lucky in that my first few clients were great. Like my church like paid me monthly to upkeep it. Oh, cool. My second client was my friend's dad. And he was like, he only wanted a website so that he could get like at that point, like they required, he was a general contract, a general electrician. So in order to like bid on projects, they needed a website. So he's like, just set it up, put some pictures up there. And I'm like, great. So it was, I didn't really have my first nightmare client for a few years after I started my business. Oh, wow. Jeez. For years, I think it took us a few months. Our first (laughs) client was, yeah, was, uh, check this one out. Third client we ever designed a website for was an e-commerce client that had uh, a first website they designed. So they had no idea what they wanted and had horrible expectations and had over a hundred SKUs. Wow. Man. Yeah, that's I avoided e-commerce for a long time because uh, it like gave me agita, which is what Italians say instead of heartburn. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's well that's the last e-commerce client we've done <laughs> so yeah and luckily we didn't even finish the project because he um he changed his mind and didn't want to continue along with the, the the business so um but yeah shit that was uh not a good time. Um, yeah, we, we learned something there. So was so how did things well, well I guess how, things went really well in the beginning, huh? Yeah. Um, I mean, like I was in high school, so like literally making any money was amazing. Um, <laughs> you know, because I, I worked all sorts of odd jobs. You know, I worked at a ShopRite a grocery store for a while. And then uh, I worked like the baseball field at, at uh, the snack shack. And I like did like janitorial stuff at my old grammar school. I just like worked again, a typical New York Italian. I'm just like, yeah, you're going to give me money for this. I'll do it. (laughs) But uh, the making websites was I found enjoyable almost to the point where I was like, I don't understand why people would just pay me to do something that I'm enjoying. And so I worked at a deli again, obviously I worked at a deli. (laughs) <laughs> and my boss, Joe Rizzi, you know, he and I would always talk. Of course, at Joe Yeah, of course. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Rizzi. <laughs> he and I would always talk at the end of the day while we were cleaning up. And he would always ask me how my business was going. And uh, he's like, Joe, you got to charge more. And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, how much do you charge? And I'm like, $10 an hour. He's like, you know, he's like, are you worth more than that? He's like, are you good at what you do? I'm like, yeah. He's like, then you need to charge more because that shows people that you are good at what you do. Are you going to buy a car for a hundred bucks or would you rather buy a car for like 10,000 bucks? And I'm like, well, the, the hundred dollar one's probably not going to work. He's like, exactly. So he will, he gave me like so much advice that like you wouldn't, you wouldn't learn from school. So I was very lucky to have Mr. Rizzi kind of teach me along the way about how, what it was like to run a business, even though he was in the food business and I was in the digital space, like the principles are the same and the client relationships are the same. Yeah, isn't that so cool? Like I I know I have um an MBA and I'll tell you, I've learned more from experience like listening to my dad tell stories about business and other people than I ever, ever learned in like a shit ton of like BS highest education I had. And yeah, I mean it's just that real world kind of thing. I think that's such a you know, for you shit, such a blessing to have somebody that, you know, taught you that kind of stuff back then. And I don't think that's the stuff I don't think they teach like 
like people, we, we don't get taught the real world stuff like that in school nowadays, but that's a whole nother conversation as to why the problems with our education system. But hey, we come out knowing what the Pythagorean theorem was, or at least having memorized it for at least two days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I wish I have no idea what that means now. <laughs> it's right like, angles, I think. Something that? like that, right? Right angles? It, it, Isn't it that what you're be. figuring out? Oh, I man. think it has something to do with geometry, just because. Yeah. The only thing My I know friends. from Spanish is um, que or a sacapuntas. So... What time is it? Is the last part a bad word? No, no, it doesn't sound like a bad word. And that's the reason I remember yeah. that one. Yeah. It's pencil it's similar. Ah, ah. <laughs> but, gotcha. you know, it's like Sacco Princess. It sounded like, you know, like it was yeah. going to be a bad word. So well, It's very similar to a, a very bad word that I will not say on the podcast. But <laughs> very similar. So, yeah, so it's like... Um, yeah, I could, I could ask, what time do you sharpen your pencil in Spanish? And that's all I remember. So, um, anyway, so you so you went along for, for a while. And then if you started back in 2002, then a recession hit in like 2008. What were you doing at that time? I, thankfully, was in grad school at the time. Cool. I kind of r- realized that I got, I, was, I got my undergrad degree in media and information technology with a minor in computer science, which basically means that I got to major in computer science without taking calculus, uh, <laughs> which was amazing. But I realized in October of that year that I wasn't quite ready for the real world. I wanted to try to grow my business a little more. Of course, this is before like the Affordable Care Act or whatever. So like, I had health insurance on my mind. If I wanted to start my own business, that would be like the biggest cost, like real life business and not just like I'm living with my parents and making money side hustle wise. Uh, So I decided to go to grad school and I'll tell you, I was freelance wise busier than I had ever been in during the first, like the first two years of the recession. Nice. Um, Love it. And I, I was well positioned, I guess, right? Because in 2008, people really wanted to get online and get websites. And I was priced pretty, like I, I charged good money, money that I like needed and I thought was reasonable, but it was probably below what other people were charging because now they needed to make up for lost work or whatever. So I don't have a sad recession story, really. I can tell you there are a few things I did to make sure, though, that I did not have a sad recession story. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's like what we want to want to talk about, because, you know, I think a, a recession hits and this has been the theme. If you've listened to any of these other podcasts I've done, it's you can like when it hits in the, in the beginning, you might be scared initially, but it's just like what you do like in to to make it because you could you could do two things you could be sad and hide in the corner because you know you're you're paralyzed by the fear or you could put it aside and do things like Joe's going to share with us to actually make it a um a very good positive time for your growth so enough of me rambling Joe continue <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean like and I've seen a lot of stuff shared recently like these are companies that were starting a recession. Like the Walt Disney company was starting a recession and Johnson and Johnson or whatever. And then like studies have shown that the, the companies that didn't run and hide and completely stop spending during a recession were the ones that came out on top. 
But that that is hard if you're mm-hmm. looking at if you are a small business owner or a mm-hmm. freelancer and you're looking at your bottom line going, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet this month. And luckily in this recession, luckily ish, the government has done a lot of things to try to get money into people's pockets. But some of the things that I did that really helped me in the long run was I diversified my streams of income. This was not the way I would have worded it 12 years ago, (laughs) but this is a term that I kind of stole from Chris Lemma. Like when he came on my podcast, he talked about how important that was, but I was making money from, um, uh, in grad school, I was making money as a teacher's assistant. So I, I landed that job and that put some money in my pocket as well as paid for school. Uh, so that was debt. I didn't really have to worry about. I was doing freelancing. So I was, you know, selling, developing and selling websites. I had set up reseller hosting so that I had a predictable stream of income uh, that way. So those were, oh, and then I also like white labeled like this backup system. So like security and backups were a way for me to make money. Hosting was a, a way for me to make money teaching and then making websites. So four of those streams, the University of Scranton, which is my alma mater, they were pretty recession proof, at least for me, during the 2008 recession. So, uh, you know, that was not money I was worried about drying up. And then luckily the leads, my target audience, the leads that I had generated, the relationships that I formed with my clients up until that point were good and strong. And a lot of them realized that they needed to either update or redo their website. So I guess the, the third piece of advice Second piece of advice is (laughs) nurture your current relationships, right? And I think that's probably advice that you hear from a lot of different people. We're always looking to go after the new client, the new customer. How do I get more people in the door? Because that's how, that's what more money is. But the people who have given you money are the people who have already bought in to what you're doing. They are the people who trust you and have shown you that trust with their wallet. So nurture your current relationships, touch base with your clients and say like, Hey, I was looking at your website. This happened. I fixed it for you real quick. Or, Hey, this new thing is happening in web design and we need to make sure this happens. I don't want to just send you a bill, but this is what I would recommend we do in the next coming months. And being communicative and nurturing and helpful comes back and it will come back in, in, in spades for you. Yes, yes, yes. I, this is, this is brilliant stuff here, Joe. The audience out there should be uh, taking some notes on this. It's definitely like, I think a theme that we've heard is uh, recurring revenue from different streams. And you did that with reselling hosting? Yeah, yeah. So I had, I, I think I was using DreamHost at the time. Um, I have since switched, but Yeah, I basically found an account that you're allowed to make a reseller account. I think that's important, right? Because like, don't just pick the cheapest hosting and then put a bunch of accounts on it because that's going to negatively impact your clients, right? You want to, if you're charging them for something, you want to make sure you're charging them (laughs) for something. Relationships. You want to have relationships to go back to and have conversations with. (laughs) Yeah. Don't give them crap, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Or what we were saying before we started recording, my dad would always say, buy cheap, get cheap. Yeah. And your, your clients will know. Um, When I moved one of my clients, a client I've had for over 10 years now, when I moved them to a new server, 
they immediately said, yeah, we see a big difference. And I'm like, this is going to, this is not going to cost you anything extra. I'm just moving all of my clients to a better server to make sure you have the resources that you need. Because that, that was important to me. So reselling hosting was something that I did. I think it was like a fairly obvious avenue at the time. I think a lot of freelancers were probably doing that. I was certainly not the first person to think of it. <laughs> but uh, today, what I might do if I did like more client work like that is sign each client up for their own hosting account through my affiliate link and make it super duper clear to them that I am doing that. And just say, hey, we're going to make sure you get set up with your own account so that I'm not the keeper of your keys. Because I have seen too many people go, I don't know how to get to my site. My developer is a jerk and he's not going to give them to me. So I just say right up, like, I want you to hold on to this. I want you to make sure that you have access to everything that you need. I'm going to sign you up with my affiliate account. So I get a little bit of kickback. That doesn't cost you any extra. And if you do have a support issue and you want me to handle it, I can log into your account. But if you ever decide that you are unhappy with me or you're just going to take things in a different direction, you can change the password. So, you know, making that's probably what I would do today. And I think affiliate income is, is a pretty decent, I mean, decent, it's a low barrier of entry way to diversify your income today. You can sign up for like an Amazon Associates account, which I know they've caught a lot of flack for because yeah. they just they just like reduced the rates. And I know that people are upset about that, but like Amazon doesn't need us. Amazon, I'm an Amazon affiliate. They don't need me to sell their stuff for them. So, you know, you find, you find affiliate accounts that are, are a little bit better. ConvertKit has a great one. Hosting companies have a... A real, like generally really good because the lifetime value of their customers is pretty high. So pick the host that you like and sign up and, and anybody who asks you recommend them. But I think I might be on a tangent. Reselling hosting was a way that I diversified my income. If I were to do it today, I don't know that I would resell, but I would arrange a system where my clients signed up themselves through an affiliate program. That way they got bills and they were the keeper of the keys, but I still got a little bit of money in the, in the, in the short term. Yeah, yeah, no, we, we like tangents here. So <laughs> we like interesting tangents. <laughs> Not a play-by-play of your cat's life, but you know, that was, that, that was worth listening to. So what, uh, you know, it's funny, like just going back to talking to tangents, um, Amazon, I just read an article that uh, like, you're right, that, you know, and this stuff, I love Amazon in a way, but then again, I'm like, eh, Amazon kind of scares me. Like yeah. they'd always promised, like if you were um, a third-party seller on Amazon that you weren't competition and they weren't going to use the information and they just came out, the Wall Street Journal just did a, um, a study on that that just came out and said they actually are. Like their product development team is watching what you're doing. And if it's a good product with good margin, and everything like that, they'll create an Amazon basic knockoff of it and yeah. already know like how much you need to spend on advertising and all that because they're, they're taking that information from you, which they said in their terms of service they want. But who, who, who believed that anyways? So that Right. Yeah. Is- if, if they actually violated their terms of service, then they're in for a pretty big class action lawsuit probably. But I'm willing to bet that at this point, their lawyers are smarter than that. Yes. Yeah. So, and that is, that stinks. That's terrible for them to do, but it's their playground. I could go on Amazon and look at the top selling products in a, in some category 
and I could see what's doing well. And I could be like, I can make this myself. Amazon just has a faster way to figure it out. Yeah. So not, not that I'm saying that that justifies their actions, but something to be cognizant of is if you're playing in somebody else's playground, they can take their ball whenever they want. Oh, 100%. And I think we've seen that with Facebook so many times. It's like, hey, create a business page. You know, they ran a Super Bowl commercial promoting business pages, create a business. And then they took all the reach away from your business page. And then they're yeah. like, hey, do Facebook lives. And then they took like the reach that you're, you're getting off of Facebook live away. And then now they're like, hey, build Facebook groups. And they're running commercials about that. What do you think they're going to do with Facebook groups eventually after, after they get you to build their product for them? You know, and then they start charging for it because it's like, you know, they could change the terms of like that they want. Like exactly. Like, you know, they could change the rules like, hey, I, I'm playing basketball on your court with your ball. And then all of a sudden you change the rules of basketball. <laughs> Like, yeah, so it's, yeah, it goes back to what Mr. Rizzi told me all those years ago, right? If, if you are cheap or something is cheap or free, wonder about that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, 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 Uh, exactly. So you do some cool stuff right now to, to, to build in some recurring revenue, don't you? So some other stuff, you know? Yeah. So I've, again, I've tried to really diversify my income. I still do I still do websites though I don't advertise it as much because I want to focus on my students. I have I sell I create and sell online courses. Uh, I do that through my own platform and then I also do it for hire. I do it for LinkedIn Learning. That has been a very rewarding experience because I'm learning how they do it. What they're doing obviously works and I get to reach a lot more people than I would normally reach. And I I re- create recurring income, right? So there's that. I've got my podcast, which I make money through sponsorships and affiliate links. Um, And then I do videos for hire. So those areas are the way that I've diversified. And uh, several of those are recurring revenue. And I knew I I really need to double down on recurring uh, in 2017 when I left my job to start my business with a three-month-old. And I thought, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on time with my child because I have to work late or whatever. So recurring was the way for me to stop trading dollar or hours for dollars. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think, I think that's, that's pretty cool. What, what are your courses about? Like what's Joe an expert about? <laughs> um, I, it, it depends on who you ask and that is <laughs> problematic. I'm not going to ask your wife because they don't think yeah. we're experts on anything. <laughs> They'll say you're good at talking. I'll be yeah. like, I can't argue that. So I've, I've been using WordPress since 2004. Um, so a lot of my websites focus on, or a lot of my courses focus on WordPress or WordPress related things. I have a course on WordPress 5.0 and the Gutenberg editor. I have a course on Beaver Builder. I have a course on HTML and PHP. These are things I've been using for a long time. And then I am doing a slight pivot on this because they, I didn't really have a unified message because I'm also working on a podcast course, Podcast Liftoff. A lot of people have asked me to do that because the ones that are free don't serve their needs and the ones that might serve their needs are very expensive. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a good mid-range project product there where I can show people how to build the website and their podcast. 
People have asked me about online courses because now I have a lot of experience teaching at the college level, going online, developing an online course for colleges, developing courses for myself and point and learning. So I make courses for people who create content and want to do it on their own platform. So I teach them a little bit about the content creation and how to get ideas, but I also teach them how to own the platform that they're putting their content on. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, that's a lot of stuff right there, man. You, you, you're, 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 um, you're brilliant in many areas then. (laughs) If you wonder why Joe sounds so good and, uh, is everything like that, because Joe is an expert podcaster, you know, um, (laughs) that, uh, I've, I've, I've listened to, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're going to see the technology and everything on this course and how to get started. I learned from Joe before I even knew Joe. So he's very, very generous, very smart guy. If you start following him, I'm sure you'll pick up uh, all sorts of little tips and tricks. So he's one of the people that inspired me to finally get off my word that I won't say on the podcast and start something. <laughs> so yeah. And, and, and that's why, you know, I said, okay, well I'll do it. And so, and that was cool. So, uh, so, all right, then what, what was, so what was the outcome? So let's, let's jump back to the, to, to the recession. So you get to the recession and everything like that. And what, what was the outcome of all that? You know, you, you started doing all that stuff. And so the recession starts clearing up and where's Joe, what's Joe doing? How is Joe, how is, how was that let Joe get to where he's got, got to today? Yeah. I came out of the recession with a renewed sense of direction, I think. I, there was in my last year of grad school, the, um, the business development center in Scranton and the Northeastern Pennsylvania area hosts a business plan competition. So I had an idea for school software based on WordPress. Let me tell you, I learned some very tough lessons, but I placed third. We got a little bit of funding to develop this platform out. This is a platform I had already developed for my high school based on WordPress. The two lessons, the two hard lessons that I learned at this time were understand the GPL. If you, Nev, do you work with WordPress? Yes. Okay. So uh, for those, yeah, for those who don't know what the GPL is, it stands for GNU Public License. And it basically keeps all WordPress and WordPress related code open source. So if you are going to build a proprietary system, don't do that on WordPress. So that was the first thing. Like the the licensing contract for my school-based software could not be based on the source code. It had to be based on support, which is fine because the people who are paying for you to, to use your code probably don't know how to write code anyway, and they need that support aspect. So if you're thinking I should productize WordPress in some way, understand that the GPL does not let you license the code, but you can uh, and should make your money off of support and updates, Uh um, which is the plugin model, right? So that was the first lesson I learned. Didn't understand that. Um, And the second lesson I learned is that schools don't like to spend money during a recession. Who knew? (laughs) But luckily I had a good network of people and uh, friends and clients. I uh, So to, to kind of inform this, I asked Mr. Rizzi at his son's wedding a couple of years ago. I said, Mr. Rizzi, I was like a pretty terrible employee. I had what people would <laughs> tell me is you're, you're smart, but you got no common sense, which was accurate. 
so he'd have to tell me to do things multiple times. And like, I didn't take, I didn't take, I don't think the right initiative to do certain things. And it's just because I was a 16 year old kid. Uh, and I'm like, why did you keep me on? Like I made mistakes that you didn't necessarily charge me for when you charged other employees. Why did you keep me on? And he said, Joey, I kept you on. People who knew me before 2008 call me Joey. <laughs> Joey, I kept you on because nobody was better with the customers. I was a people person and I talked to people and I shared in their stories and I gave them a good experience when they came into the store. And that is something that looking back has always kind of been true. I am an extrovert. I love talking to people. I love the relationships. And those relationships are what helped me get through that business, which ultimately I just gave to my business partner. And then she kind of took it and did something with it. But that's what kept me going through the recession. And it, it helped me as I eventually did get a full-time job uh, when I turned 26 to because I wasn't on my parents' insurance anymore. <laughs> but I also realized that I needed that job because uh, some of the, well, let me stop there. What got me through the recession was the relationships I made in school and through that business plan competition and the good relationships I had with my clients. And then if you want, I can kind of get into it's why I ended up getting a full-time job for a short amount of time. Yeah, sure. What brought this about? So and what did you learn from that? Yeah, I learned, I learned that I didn't know a lot of things. <laughs> so some of the best advice that I did not take when I was 21 was from another entrepreneur friend of ours, of my family's. And he said, Joe, like, he's like, you got the spirit, you got the schooling, you don't have the experience. He's like, what you should do right after school is get a job in the field where you want to start your business, learn from people who have been through this before, learn how they manage their relationships with their clients, learn their techniques, understand a little bit about the business, and then start your business. And I, being 21 and full of hubris, was like, I don't need to do that. <laughs> I've been, doing, I've been doing this since 2002. Well, it turns out I needed to do that. I'm not a prodigy. Like, I, you know, I'm not like some genius like Elon Musk where I just intuitively know how to run a business or whatever. So I got a job at the University of Scranton and that's where I learned how to work with teams of other programmers. That's where I learned that process, like processes like documentation and version control to a c extent. And... Uh, working with other departments and those relationships and having a manager and, and doing things from that point of view. And then I left the University of Scranton to work at Crowd Favorite. And at Crowd Favorite, I learned how to work really effectively with a distributed team. And I learned about code reviews and I learned about coding for Fortune 100 companies like Disney. And I learned a lot of processes that helped me become a better developer. And then I left Crowd Favorite and I started my own business again. And I thought, man, by not getting a job right out of school, and I'm not saying everybody needs to do that, but I needed to do that. By not getting a job right out of school, I probably set myself back a couple of years because there were mm -hmm. things I thought I knew that I didn't. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's, uh, I look back when I went to school, I went, I went right out of school to grad school. And when I got out with my uh, MBA, I was like, oh, I got an MBA and everything like that and everybody. And then when I go to jobs, they're like, well, you're just an expensive undergrad because you don't have any experience. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, 
<laughs> but yeah, so yes, I think, yeah, I think that's the experience. I think experience is the best teacher in the world. So, and to pick up this, I know a few, like Conrad Hilton used to go to Harvard, you know, and mm-hmm. the, like the best and the brightest MBAs. And he used to say, would you take a job in the kitchen? You know, because you wow. started, you know, when you started at Hilton, or maybe it was Marriott. It was one of those two. I think it was the one. Yeah. But anyways, it doesn't matter. So, and then you you did a rotation with the maids. You did a rotation with with the with the fry cooks and all that kind of stuff to learn the business from the ground up. Because he didn't, you know, you didn't get a, a fancy office. You know, you might still get the six-figure salary, but you didn't get the fancy office and, you know, the expense account and, you know, wearing suits to work for at least a year. So, and if, and if you said no, you balked at that, he didn't want you on the team anyways, because he wanted somebody that was willing to learn the business. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're gunning for like a higher level area, you need to understand other aspects of the business. I just finished reading Bob Iger's book, Ride of a Lifetime. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, I'm a huge Disney fan anyway. And like Walt Disney, the person is extremely interesting. The company that has survived with the Walt Disney ethos. 50, 60 years after he died is amazing to me as well. But Bob Iger talks about how he started at ABC as basically a grunt and worked his way up. And then when ABC was bought by Disney, he like was a team player and understood how things worked. And then he moved over to learn about parks and every aspect of the business before 2005, when he became the CEO, he was the most qualified. And people were talking about how they needed to bring somebody in from the outside. But Bob lived and breathed Disney for 30 years. So it it made perfect sense to, to make him the CEO. And I would argue that he is the best CEO that Walt Disney Company has had since Walt Disney. He's done amazing things for them. And his foresight and his understanding and business acumen comes from working at every aspect in every aspect of the company. Yeah, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know Disney was one of it was one of a top performance stock. Everybody looks at Tesla and Amazon and Facebook, and they've all done really well, Google and Netflix. But Disney has been, you know, a real player, like year in, year out, year in, like, you know, without a lot of the volatility of the other guys. So it, with like a traditional like model where they were doing a lot of like uh, broadcasting and stuff like with ABC, but they and ESPN and ESPN's taking big hits, you know, mm-hmm. but they've yeah. been able to, you know, keep up with the punches. And now Disney's new streaming service, I think, is extremely interesting what they're able to do. I think a lot of these streaming services aren't going to be around in a couple of years just because, you know, that everybody and their brother has a streaming service yeah. now. So, yeah. Netflix is a company I think will be not because of anything they're doing now, but just because they just seem to be Reed Hastings and that teams. I mean, they've transitioned twice because people forget they started as a mail order DVD company. Yeah. Yeah. You know, went to like what we see now is a, um, a company that streams and they figured out streaming. People think take streaming for granted. They figured out streaming when it was almost impossible. And yep. then from there, they've transferred, they transitioned into a content producing company because they realized way ahead of time that these companies were going to see value in this content libraries they had and keep it from Netflix. So they decided they had to spend tons of money to create their own content when it wasn't profitable. So I see them being able to transition, but I think Disney and, and Netflix are definitely, we'll see what Amazon does. I mean, they have enough money to throw at it, but you know, their original yeah. content is eh, sometimes yeah. good, sometimes not. 
So Amazon is interesting. I could see Amazon buying one of the other ones to yeah. really improve their portfolio. But right, the ones with a rich original content, um, well or Vault are the ones that are going to survive. HBO Max is going to be great because under the HBO Max umbrella is Warner Brothers, one of the mm-hmm. oldest movie studios in America. And, you know, they have Harry Potter and friends like that's enough, probably <laughs> to keep people on HBO Max. But, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's important to to work to work in different aspects of a business because you're gaining different perspective. Right. Automatic makes every single new employee work support for, I think, two weeks or three weeks or something like that. So that they could see the kind of questions that their customers are asking and the kind of problems that they're trying to solve. And that is going to inform the decisions they make when they get into whatever role they were hired for. And that is insanely important. And that's why it's good and maybe the best thing that you can do in your business to talk to your clients, to talk to your customers. Because, you know, if you talk to a client about their current website and the trouble that they're having, you can not only fix their problem, but now you can say, I bet other people have this problem. And when I get a new client, I'm going to understand the language that my clients are using in my sales pitch to the new client. And maybe that'll help me land my new client. So, you know, your current clients are not just launch and forget about. Your current clients are your most important asset in your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I was, yeah. It's what, what's the statistic? I think it's gone up from here. This is an old statistic, but it's seven times more expensive to get a new client than it is to keep an yep. existing client happy. And I think that's actually gone up since then. All right. Well, we appreciate all your time here, Joe. I don't want to hold you all day because I certainly could talk a lot more about this stuff. But what? Uh, how can people get a hold of you? Where are you? Where? Where's all these great channels that you're putting out? All this fantastic stuff. I am in a lot of places, but I'm going to make it real easy for you. Go to casabona.org slash nev. That's N-E-V. Casabona.org slash nev. And there you will be able to find my YouTube channel, my Twitter, and my GitHub, and my courses, and my podcast. Uh, So you only need to remember that one URL, and it will be basically a gateway for you to reach me however you would like. I'm probably the most active on Twitter. But again, all of my channels will be there where you can find all of my free and premium content. Cool, cool, cool. And then and all these links will be in the show notes. But like, I hate it when people say that on a podcast when I'm listening in the car. I'm like, could you just spell that for me? <laughs> you know, I know yeah. it's in the show notes, but I'm not going to remember to go back later. So that's C-A-S-A-B-O-N-A dot org slash Nev. So you better know how to spell my name if you're listening to my podcast. No. <laughs> it's, it's N-E-V. So, um, all right. Well, Joe, thanks again. And um, that's a wrap for this one, guys and gals. We will see you next week. So. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. That was the Profit and Impact Podcast with Nev Harris. For a full recap of this show, or for more info on making more profit and impact with your agency or freelance business, visit nevharris.com. If you liked this episode, show us some love. Give us a rating and comment over on iTunes and help Nev get the message out to more agency owners and freelancers. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.